900. And I'll be reading the account of, of that final supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Verses 1 to 17, and then verses 31 to 35. And you, can, you are more than welcome to read all of the rest on your own. Listen now to God's word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came, into, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then verse 31 to 35. When he had gone out, that is, Judas the betrayer, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A man's final words command extra attention no matter how much he has said in his life. The final words of Jesus are especially, especially meaningful to us gathered here tonight. Tomorrow night, we'll be mindful more than ever of the Lord's final, final seven words, the seven statements at Calvary. Father, forgive them. Woman, behold thy son. Today you will be with me in paradise. Why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said those final, final words, Luke 23, 46 records, he breathed his last. Now, do you remember, anyone here, the first words that Jesus spoke recorded in the Gospels? Does anyone have, a, have an idea of what those first words were? They're in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. And he was speaking to his parents, who were frantically searching for him. And he said, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? From the time he celebrated that first Passover, Jesus of Nazareth knew that his purpose was to fulfill the will of his father as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he closes his ministry by acknowledging again that his life is all about the father's will and bringing his father glory as his disciples will bring to him glory. He knew. He knows everything. Look at the passage. He knows what's coming. He knows the hour. He knows who's betrayed him. He knows what's in Simon Peter's heart. In John chapter 13, all the way through to the end of chapter 17, we have Jesus' final discourse. It's known as the, the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. And I would encourage you uh, perhaps tonight or tomorrow to, to read all of John 13 and then maybe through, the, through tomorrow uh, through 17 of this final discourse. With his arrest and crucifixion imminent, rather than being nostalgic or sentimental, that's what I probably would be, Jesus turns his attention to his new messianic community. Time is a wasting, and he's not going to waste a single moment on anything other than what's most critically important. First, by cleansing his disciples, then instructing them, and then praying for them. So when you read chapter 17, that is his final prayer. The community is, is cleansed literally and symbolically through the foot washing and then figuratively, figuratively through the removal of Judas the betrayer. So literally they're washed. Symbolically, this is a, a symbol that we understand of, 
of the cleansing of the community. And then we see Judas leave. Now, perhaps some of you here have attended a, a foot washing uh, service, maybe a Monday, Thursday service or a, or a retreat. Has anyone ever been to a service like that? I see a couple hands. Powerful. Just, just powerful. I, I remember when uh, Pope Francis became Pope and one of the early images, I think, in his papacy was, was washing the feet of, of especially uh, poor and especially disenfranchised people. But now imagine this foot washing. Imagine that you are there at that time, 2,000 years ago, in Palestine. This next week, I'll be leaving for Palestine. I thought I was going to be staying in Israel and a few ventures across the border. I'm actually going the other way around. I'll be in Palestine and occasionally coming back. And so I, start, I spoke with uh, Steve Amar, uh, one of our uh, dear friends here, a missionary who, uh, who helps teach ESL classes to folks that are native Farsi speakers. And he's uh, well-traveled and well-versed in in customs in the Arab world, and I was asking him for some pointers, and he gave me great insights of how to greet a person, not to offer your hand, uh, to shake a, a, a lady's hand in particular uh, when, when I'm there, and, and always, always to eat with my right hand and, and not with my left. Imagine you were there. Imagine a time and a place where people walked long distances on dusty roads, in sandals. It was customary for the host to arrange for, for water and a, and a basin and, and customary for middle-class, regular folk to just help themselves. That was sort of something you do. I'm, I'm, I have to use the powder room sort of, sort of thing. It's just customary. We're not going to talk about that disgusting thing you need to do to those nasty feet. In a more wealthy home, this was a very remarkable thing, what Jesus does, because in a wealthier home, this task of foot washing was reserved only for non-Jewish slaves and servants. Here Jesus is, at table with his friends. This is not the Passover meal. This is before the Passover. But he's at table. And at the appointed time of his choosing, he stands and removes his outer garment, wraps it around himself, and begins to wash their feet. Jesus, their rabbi, Jesus, their master, Lord and teacher, sets an example of love, humi humility, and servanthood. He signifies the washing way of sins through his impending death and resurrection. Simon Peter doesn't understand what's going on. He steps up to set Jesus straight. But the reverse happens, doesn't it? Jesus sets Peter straight. Peter, you must be washed of your sins if you are to be part of this new community. Then consider the striking demonstration of love for his enemies. That Jesus includes Judas, 
in the foot washing. Before he sends him out, before he confronts him, before the beloved disciple, who, who is John, approaches Jesus, before Jesus takes a morsel of food and literally feeds the mouth of the one who will speak utter lies, he washes his feet. Though Jesus was about to die an agonizing death, he continued to love all of his disciples, even his betrayer. The disciples do not fully understand Jesus here, his his amazing humility, uh, which serves as a model for all of his disciples, his amazing love, which is to be our M.O. as disciples. They don't understand it. But we're on this side of the table. We're on this side of the cross. We are on this side of the empty tomb. Do we understand it? A new commandment I give you. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. A new commandment I have given you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love must be the distinguishing mark of disciples. Now, what's new about this? He says it's a new commandment. Is it new? We, we can look in the Old Testament. We can look in the Torah. It's not really new. It's in Leviticus and it's in Deuteronomy. To love God with all that you've got and to, to love your neighbor. What's new about this new commandment? The Jews knew they were to love, love God and love your neighbors. But to love like this To love like Jesus has loved on these men and these women for three years? To love one's enemy? Love like Jesus loves? A love that is even willing to lay down one's life for another? The final words of Jesus are especially filled with meaning for us. But they mean nothing if we're not willing to abide by them. We must act in love. That is our mandate. Now we know Jesus' dying words were not his last. We have life, we have faith, we have hope and joy because of what Christ did on our behalf. With life that you enjoy and faith and hope that you enjoy, Will you, will I, love as he commanded? Love one another, he says, little children. By this the world will know that you are mine. And in loving in this way, you will glorify me and my Father. Friends, this is the perfect time for us to prepare to come to this table. And so I'm going to just give us a little time to consider, truly consider, what are those places and those people and those instances where we have lacked the love and to call on Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to empower us to love. Not to point fingers, but to say, Lord, start that good work in my heart and in my life. Let's take a little time to do that before we transition to the invitation.